With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. From Variety, celebrating more than 115 years covering the business of entertainment, this is the Award Circuit Podcast. What I found so cool with this project is Lucy and Desi felt very modern to me. Two outsiders, two disruptors, people who were not always invited into the room, who made their way into the room, made decisions, and the stuff that they innovated, that they made decisions on, is still the way we make television. There's not that much that has changed. Just when you thought you knew the story of Lucille Ball and Desi Arnaz, Amy Poehler comes along with a documentary that shows them in a new light. I'm Michael Schneider, and on this edition of the Variety Award Circuit Podcast, we talk to Amy Poehler about her Amazon Prime video doc, Lucy and Desi. We talk to Poehler about the access she had in talking to icons like Carol Burnett and Norman Lear, as well as what drew her to making the doc in the first place and much more. It's all next on this edition of the Variety Award Circuit Podcast. Stay close. There's very little that Amy Poehler can't do. She serves as an executive producer on four projects currently on the air, including Emmy contenders Russian Doll and Making It, which she also co-hosts. She also voices two leading characters on Fox's animated series Duncanville, which she co-created. Though she's stepped behind the camera many times over the course of her career, this year came with a whole new challenge, directing an Amazon Prime video documentary about Lucille Ball and Desi Arnaz, titled Lucy and Desi. I'd like you to meet my favorite redhead, the mother of my children, ladies and gentlemen, Lucille Ball. I wanted to get as far away as possible. My parents had these audio tapes. Hello, hello. Hi there. He said, that's Lucille Ball. And I said, oh man, that's a hunk of woman. I was madly in love with Desi. I've never felt that way about anyone before. No one wanted him to play my husband because he was Cuban and they wanted a real American couple. The only reason I Love Lucy exists is because they wanted to be together. A cubita bella. Uh, oh, <laughs> they established their own studio. That's an enormous operation. Desi Luke was responsible for some of the greatest television of the 20th century. She was fearless. You realize that women could do this too. We had no idea Desi Luke was going to become what it was. Work became our whole life. There was a cost to the success. Polar tapped some of the biggest names in the industry to take part in the doc. Her goal was to show the off-screen side of the legendary duo, diving deeper into lesser-known aspects of their professional lives and Ball's trailblazing career as a studio boss. Although Ball and Arnez were married from 1940 to 1960, and the heyday of I Love Lucy was more than 60 years ago, the couple's story felt very modern to Polar. Friday's Emily Longaretta and I sat down recently with Polar to talk about Lucy and Desi. We began by asking her, well, how has the pandemic been for her? Oh, my gosh. Wow. Well, it just it never ends. It's just a party <laughs> that never ends. <laughs> just what wave are we in now? What I, wave I, are we in? I don't know. And apparently there's there's more to come, but 
at, at yeah. least we're doing this again. We're doing some in-person stuff. You're, yeah, that's true. That is actually very, very uh, soul-affirming to to look at. Right now, for, for people that are listening, we're just – we're sitting very close staring into each other's eyes. Yeah, yeah. And great. We, we've already gone through – like we, we've all been tested recently. We're all doing okay. Mm-hmm. So yeah. Yeah. So we'll 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 blame the PR team if if something <laughs> happens. So sorry, PR team. <laughs> yeah, it is, but it has been a wild couple of years. Are you sort of used to the new protocols now when it comes to shooting and and just production, or is it still just intrusive and and frustrating? Well, you know, working on a documentary during these past few years was very fortuitous because so much of it is research. And interviews and time with your editor. So I I didn't have as much on set, you know, experience. Now I'm shooting something right now on set and it's kind of brutal, mm-hmm. to be honest, to be masked yeah. all day long. Um, but I do, I take great pride in working in an industry where a bunch of different unions came together very fast to say, we're all going to do something that's going to be really uncomfortable and unpleasant and we're going to hate it and we're going to keep doing it to keep working. Yeah. And I, I think that there's an incredible lesson in it there that, you know, there's a a lot of different kinds of people that work on a film together and they all said, fine, we'll do this so that we can keep working. So there's a little bit of magic in it still. Um, But I I look forward to when we don't have to do that or wear that or someday. I know I miss seeing people's smiles. (laughs) I do. I realized how much I missed it. It's like, yeah, there's a lot of eye acting that happens. <laughs> yeah, people's eyes are stronger than ever. Well, well, shooting a documentary like you mentioned mm-hmm. during the pandemic, um, you still do have to interview some people, and you interviewed yeah. some titans uh, who are, uh, you know, obviously older, uh, like uh, legends like Norman Lear, like Carol Burnett. So you want to be very careful that you're protecting some of these, you know, icons. Yeah, exactly right. We interviewed the incredible Norman Lear, who's entering his 100th year and is a dear friend of mine, I'm happy to say. And Carol Burnett, just a legend and an icon and one of my mentors. Um, And uh, Bette Midler, who's just a gorgeous 40-year-old woman who looks incredible. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, truly. Um, but but yes, yeah, so we had to take some precautions in terms of, you know, there were times when we just weren't in the same room. Um, but uh, very, very grateful that they did the film. And with Lucy and Desi, the documentary for uh, Amazon that I directed, we really wanted to try to only interview people that knew Lucy and Desi because the idea was to try to keep them alive, you know, to like re- to bring them back to life, to make them people rather than Halloween costumes. And they become icons and legends. And once that happens and you have people talking about how funny they are, or how iconic they are, you kind of forget the flesh and blood part. So, you know, those three people that I mentioned all knew Lucy and Desi. So and had met them and worked with them. Yeah, that, that's great, because obviously that that pool is starting to, to shrink, is. especially with Desi. It was Harder to find um, people who are still around who could really tell us, you know, first-person stories. Yeah, and we were talking beforehand about how, you know, it's 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 a classic thing where, of course, we all know who Lucy and Desi are. Um, and we know, especially because we cover this industry, we know their impact on the industry. And, and you think, like, I, already, I know everything about Lucy and Desi. Yeah. But it turns out 
No, I still didn't. Yeah. I still found like a new angle in your doc to just especially their relationship, mm-hmm. which we kind of gloss over, I think, in, in talking about the other things that they the other impact that they had. And, and you you sort of forget about them as people and as a relationship and, and what that meant and how that fueled their their passion and, and also just what their their output. Yeah, I think it once we figured out that was a way in to the piece, then everything started to fall in a place because I think a good documentary can take you anywhere. It can take you underwater. It can take you into space. It can take you into someone's home. But you have to – it's often the person, the story, the humanness that keeps you there. So in telling Lucy and Desi's story, we really wanted to tell a love story, which it's a very long love story that they have. It goes through a bunch of different changes publicly and personally and privately And it really, I think, uh, asks the question of what is a successful partnership? What does it look like? Who do you want with you at the end of your life? And what I found so cool with this project is Lucy and Desi felt very modern to me, two outsiders, two disruptors, you know, people who were not always invited into the room, who made their way into the room, made decisions and the stuff that they innovated, that they made decisions on, is still the way we make television. There's not that much that has changed. And and the negative side of that coin, there is not much that has changed. So Lucy is a woman running a studio when no one was. And Desi is, you know, Cuban-American immigrant slash refugee who comes to this country and decides he's going to try to figure out the system and work within it. So, yeah, there's it's very, very topical and modern. Is So we really wanted to make sure it felt that way. Did you have a, a memory or a kind of what was your relationship with, with Lucy and Desi in your mind? Because I think everyone has, like, for me, it's like watching I Love Lucy in bed with my mom as a kid, like yeah. watching reruns. And so I'm curious, what was your kind of connection to that? You know, someone said this to me in an interview recently or a, a press thing, and I said, oh, I really relate to that. I think the first memories I have of I Love Lucy was when I was sick, you know, homesick Mm. from school. That was that feeling of it being on TV, like you said, in bed, watching it. And then when I got older, I started to actually watch it for the performance, try to figure out what is what makes it so special, what makes Lucille Ball so special. But it was family. It was watching it at home. It was my parents. um, And. It was always on. It felt like a show that came with your TV. Yeah. <laughs> I loved that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's funny. When you were sick, it was I Love Lucy and The Price is Right. Those, those 100%. The, the, the two right. shows. That music of The Price is Right <laughs> really does. You just think of like chicken soup out of a can, flat ginger ale. Grilled yeah. cheese. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Grilled cheese. <laughs> the other thing that, uh, you know, always when I go back and I watch an episode of I Love Lucy, I kind of have to remind myself because, you know, by now, you know, the 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 joke structure, some of the stories, people have have copied those a hundred times. So you you kind of forget. Oh wait, no, this is the first time. Like characters have acted this way, have interacted this way, that this premise has been used. People like you saw it a hundred times since then, so it doesn't feel fresh anymore. But you gotta remind yourself, no, that was fresh. That was that's the first time. That's the template. Absolutely. I mean, there were a couple bits on the show and I thought to myself and, you know, I would offer it up to the great historians at, you know, the American Comedy Museum to be able to tell me if I'm wrong. But there were a couple times 
for example, Lucille Ball being pregnant in real life and Lucy being pregnant on TV. It was the first time a character in real life was pregnant and also pregnant on TV. And there was that moment when she says the baby's coming and they all run out and they leave her behind. And I thought, is this the first time we've seen this? You know, that pregnancy humor, you know, everybody losing their minds and stuffing stuff into a suitcase and forgetting the woman and the baby. Yeah. Um, there was a lot of that. And I think what that show did and what Lucy and Desi did is they created this idea of rupture and repair. And we talk a lot about it in the in the film. This feeling, you know, post-war America that you would sit with your family and you would watch a problem get solved. Um, that is what we see today in most sitcoms is just how are we going to fix this? And the problem can be small and be treated as really big or the problem can be huge and it can be treated as really small. But that idea that as a family, you sit and you watch something be fixed, that satisfaction, that feeling. And, you know, we, we talked about in the past couple of years, I think a lot of people went back to comedy and shows like this specifically to get that feeling, that hit, that it was going to be okay at the end, that yeah. everyone, that, you know, Ricky was going to forgive Lucy, that Lucy was going to kiss Ricky, that everyone was going to hug each other. Like that feeling is something that's very American and it's what we get uh, and we look for sometimes in our TV. Yeah. Yeah. And there's the, I mean, the pendulum seems to be swinging back and forth. There's a couple of years, a couple of years ago where it felt like multi-cam studio audience mm -hmm. sitcoms were making a comeback and then they kind of went away again. And I know this year there's a bunch that are again in development. I mean, what, what do you think at this point? I know it's, it's sort of a cliche question to ask the state of the multi-cam, but we're still sort of wondering what is the state of the multi-cam? It's a really good question because... You know, if you're lucky enough, fortunate enough to be in the business for more than a minute, you do see these cycles happening and you do hear things being touted as the next big thing. And you also hear a lot about things being dead. That's kind of what you do realize. And so I've learned to be very suspicious of both, to not assume that everything is going to be this or this is never coming back because quality, you know, rises a good fill in the blank of any version of a comedy show works. It just, that's why I think comedy is especially democratic is it can succeed if it's funny, no matter the form. But I don't know. The business is really different now. And there's so many more channels. There's so many more streamers. There's so many more places to put on comedy. I mean, I, I think about Parks and Rec and how just, you know, it must be, let's see. My oldest kid is 13. So 13 years ago, the landscape of NBC sitcoms is so different than it yeah. is now. And I would have never guessed that we'd be talking about some of the stuff we're talking about. So I guess the short answer is I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> After the break, more from Amy Poehler. From Los Angeles, this is the Award Circuit Podcast. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
And we're back. It's the Variety Award Circuit Podcast. I'm Michael Schneider. Emily Longaretta and I are chatting with Amy Poehler about her Amazon Prime video documentary, Lucy and Desi, which explores the relationship between iconic couple Lucille Ball and Desi Arnaz and their groundbreaking creation of I Love Lucy, as well as the eventual disillusion of their marriage. As we pick up, we're talking about how so much of I Love Lucy set the stage for TV as we now know it. One thing you mentioned in the doc, of course, and it's it's always like amazing to me that, you know, that first season, for example, of I Love Lucy, they did what, 41 episodes? They did 41 episodes in 40 weeks. They wrote an episode. <laughs> right. And it was really, two, you know, it was really three writers. It was Jess Oppenheimer, the showrunner and writer, and um, Madeline Pugh Davis and Bob Carroll Jr. I mean, just three people wrote 40 episodes, uh, 41 episodes, and they just... The grind of that is wild. Can you imagine? No, I can't. (laughs) Having done this yourself, can you imagine? I can't. And I think that I think about that a lot when I watch Lucy specifically, who had two kids in the middle of like the pinnacle of her career and was working her butt off. And also, work was really important to her. It's like what she took her greatest pride in. She got a lot of self-esteem about how hard she worked. And I think comedy and music both have this thing where if you do it well, it looks easy. Uh, People think they can do it. And I just always was really impressed by how hard she worked and how much that mattered to her that people knew that. I love, by the way, that you uh, you have that very first TV Guide magazine in there with uh, Desi yeah. Jr. Because that's what I, I own one of those. I have you that's do. one of my prized possessions. <laughs> it's a mint copy of the very first TV Guide with Lucy's fifty million dollar baby on the cover. Wow. It's like again so iconic. It is. It is uh, just to uh, just to think about what it was like to have to worry that your pregnancy would be something that America wouldn't accept or the networks wouldn't want to shoot or you'd have to dance around it. Uh, It just seems funny and silly now, but that certainly was the case then. Yeah. Yeah. Speaking of, you know, her her children, I mean, her daughter was obviously a big part of this, too. And she yeah. kind of I've read some of the stuff that she is she'd raved about working with you and how, how great the experience was. But I'm curious how you walked that line of, you know, there were some difficult questions, but she I read something that she was like, you know, it was she made it fun. So I'm curious how you how you kind of managed to do that. You know, Lucy Arnaz Luckinbill is this very uh, special unicorn and that she has a very, in my opinion, healthy perspective on her parents. Her parents are very, very famous, and she spent her entire life being famous and in the public eye. And she also has to be very protective of their legacy, mm-hmm. uh, you know. And so there's this interesting dance I where I would imagine working with someone like that could be really frustrating because they would want some version of their parents' lives to stay intact. And I found her to be a true open book. Um, she gave us an incredible amount of access to photos and, you know, video and also audio recordings, which was huge for us because we really try to tell the film in Lucy and Desi's own voice as much as we can. Yeah, we want to yeah. hear from them. There's a lot of that. Mm, yeah. There's a lot of that. And also, you know, they are, uh, uh, let's see, they would be the silent generation, right? So that generation, uh, or the greatest generation. Let's see. Am I getting my generations right? 
you guys will write I, in and tell <laughs> Either way. Yeah, I think they're, um, they're feel, almost yeah. the same. <laughs> they were silent yeah. and great. And great, yeah. Um, but either way, feelings and tra- the word trauma was not discussed and feelings weren't discussed. So we played around a lot with what wasn't said by Lucy and Desi in those tapes, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. And little Lucy filled in a lot for us. She was this emotional center that helped us give some context to what her parents were feeling and what she was feeling. And why I think she was so incredible in the film is that she, like us, cared very much about her parents' marriage because children of divorce have a perspective on their parents' divorce that is uniquely their own. However, Lucy and Desi were America's couple. So it was really amazing that she gave us that tender look and let us in and was very vulnerable about that because it was what we needed to make us feel connected to the story. But she's awesome and super talented. We just, the me and a bunch of producers just saw, went and saw her sing recently in LA last week. And I just, uh, I, it was, it was a pleasure to work with her. She's a great producer. Well, that's very cool. That's yeah. Very cool. I uh, sometimes I do the math in my head. Growing up in the eighties, mm. um, I Love Lucy was thirty years old um, at the time when I was a kid. So comparison, the kids right now, their frame of reference would be like Fresh Prince of Bel Air, which is thirty years old, which kind of just blows oh, wow, my that's mind. Interesting. The frame of like what is thirty years old to them that's... versus what was thirty years old to say me. And, oh, that's really that's really helpful and. The fresh and that show has been remade. Yeah, which is I I often think that in another time, that sh- I Love Lucy would have been remade. Yeah, which yeah. is is hard to imagine, but it's the one thing like, that hasn't been. No, it remade. hasn't. I mean, it's funny that you say that because I'm a '70s '80s kid, and a lot of I Love Lucy I learned. A lot of Lucille Ball I learned from the Carol Burnett show mm-hmm. and from SNL. Like I remember Gilda playing Lucy, and. Not really, you know, you, you sometimes you get your references 20 years later, you know, it's like every 11 year old discovers Led Zeppelin, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> um, so it is fun to hear a lot of young people discovering the show now. It's cool. Yeah. The other thing I remember from the time, because uh, we're probably around the same era, is watching Three's Company. Yes. And she showed up on a special episode of Three's Company. I think like uh, uh, like uh, John Ritter was sort of like going through some clips and then suddenly Lucille Ball shows up on Three's Company, which, you know, to 10-year-old me, like... Who is this? Oh, this is the woman from that black and white show. And now she's on my favorite show. And yeah, and so that sort of was my starter drug to, okay, Lucille Ball, she's hip. She's cool. Like, I should watch some of her show. It was one of the coolest things to discover about her. I suspected it, but there was so much evidence of her supporting young comics at the time, having great taste in comedy. She loved Bette and Carol and John Ritter and Mary Tyler Moore. And she used to go to people's tapings and she was really generous with her laughter and her mentorship. And she loved funny people. She loved laughing. And yeah, she loved John Ritter. Uh, Same, same. I mean, Three's Company was, I don't think people really understand how much we all watched Three's Company. I don't think they understand. Right. Because they they, they don't understand like in syndication when we were kids, it was on like four times a day. So you watched every episode (laughs) over and over again. And it took cues from the comedy of those. Yeah. Ron Howard, one of the producers on this film, uh, you know, from Imagine talked about how 
Lucille Ball, I think, would come by his shows and was on this, you know, was on the lot when he was shooting one of the 10 successful shows he was on. <laughs> yeah. And I really wish I could have been. I mean, I, I, I could have watched and put in hours of Lucy at the end of her life doing she did Q&As and taught and did all these incredible, you know, um, in-person workshops and stuff. And I could have watched them forever because it was we have a, a small bit in the film where she's kind of you know, chastising this guy for being a little handsy with the women in the audience. And there's a whole thing where a whole bit where she's just teasing him about. And he is. He's being he's being pretty creepy. <laughs> um, it looks like he is, uh, allegedly. Um, but it's so she's so ahead of her time. I mean, that was just no one made jokes about don't squeeze the girls too hard. I mean, that was the 70s and 80s where every girl was it was, you know, obligatory <laughs> that you got squeezed. <laughs> different time. Yeah, different um, time. Definitely. Yeah. Well, I think, by the way, the next doc you do needs to be on Three's Company and John Ritter. I'm just throwing oh, that out I there. I absolutely so, love th- John think about Ritter. That. And I love Jason, his son, who's a doll. Yeah, He's yeah. the best. Real quick before you go, I want to talk about, I want to bring up Duncanville. Oh, thank you for bringing it up. We're ha- we have seeds. Our, our new season is just premiered, and that's a dream job. Um, Mike Scully Love Mike. Uh, yeah. You know Mike? I know Mike. Yeah, yeah he's, he's awesome. Yeah. Mike and Julie um, Thacker Scully, who are the creators. And that room is just filled with the best writers. And the cast is so deeply talented. It's pretty cool. And you're playing your teenage boy dreams. My dream. <laughs> it is my dream. I, I was saying to someone the other day, it's one of the few characters I've ever had been able to play that doesn't have any any information to get out, doesn't have to drive the story is not, you know, isn't the engine. I mean, teenage boys have no sense of time, what needs to be done, how to take care of other people. They're just in their own tunnel most of the time, unless there's some dysfunction and they're parentified children and taking care of their parents. So it's so fun to play a character that doesn't care and isn't paying attention. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's good practice as as your kids uh, enter these teenage <laughs> yeah. years, right? Good, yeah, good. Good it's, lessons. It's so funny to play a character. It's, well, it's so funny to play a boy. It's funny. It's fun for my voice because you can be as scraggly as you want. Um, and I do the Annie character, uh, the mom first, and I just kind of shout that out until my voice is trash, and then I do Duncan. But I always loved Nancy Cartwright and Pamela Adlon and all these women doing that age boy because – it's so funny to be frustrated and annoyed by nothing and super tired all the time. And yeah, it's it's good um, therapy for... I, I encourage any woman to act and talk like a teenage boy as much as she can. <laughs> That's my goal. Yeah. That's my next goal, yeah. goal Just, now. I was I, I would say I love Duncanville because my son is that age and uh, he looks like Duncan down to the hair. It's it's so we just joke all the time. He he hates it when we bring it up, but I just I love because it's like it is him. Hundred percent. So, Adam's apple, the bedhead. You're yeah. just growing constantly. Yeah. You're groaning like an old man always. Just everything hurts. Your back hurts. <laughs> and then you're trying to lift weights and everything is wrong. It's just, yeah. it's a And delicious. why are you angry? Why are you, what are you angry <laughs> And over? you're just arguing about, you know, it's just everyone's a lawyer. Everyone has really, it's very always and never big, strong opinions. Um, one of my favorite jokes that I love so much is how bored everyone is all the time. And they like, you know, there's a moment in Duncanville where they just live right next to an amusement park. <laughs> and the kids are like, this town sucks. 
Um, and how important friends are to you and how old everyone else seems. It's just yeah. this really magical time. And, you know, I think that COVID has done there's been some blessings. And one of the things I think is, is kind of froze everybody. And kids are a little bit young. I don't know about your kid, but a little bit younger. Yeah, yeah. They just had a, a minute before, you know. You're right. So it's funny now because a 13-year-old or a 15-year-old, like it's, it is, it feels younger than when we were growing up. Because yeah. if you're like me, Gen X, we raised ourselves and, you know, we were in the factory. Right, right, right. We were moving on. Yeah, we had we were living on our own. Yeah. Um, we, <laughs> but kids are just starting to, you know, they're a little behind, and I don't necessarily think that's a bad thing. And Duncan certainly is. He doesn't know what he's doing. He can't make his own eggs. <laughs> <laughs> Again, relatable content. <laughs> Hashtag relatable content. Well. Amy, congrats on that, but also, of course, congrats on Lucy and Desi. Uh, it's a fantastic doc, and again, just great to learn some new stuff about a topic that we thought we knew, but it turns out there's a lot more to learn. Thank you. Thanks a lot. Thanks for watching it. I appreciate it. That's Amy Poehler, director of the documentary Lucy and Desi, now streaming on Amazon Prime Video. And that's it for this edition of Variety's Award Circuit Podcast. The Award Circuit Podcast is edited by Drew Britha, and Michael Schneider is the producer. Be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you download podcasts. Also, head on over to Variety.com and click on the Award Circuit tab to find the latest Emmy predictions and key races, as well as your daily fix of news, analysis, and reviews. Until next time, for Jazz Tanke, Emily Longaretta, and Clayton Davis, I'm Michael Schneider, and we'll see you on the circuit. Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.